Go Ask Alice is a show intended for adult audiences because adults want to learn too. Sometimes we cover sensitive material, so please take care of yourselves and listener discretion is advised. Now on to the show. Internet friends and welcome back to another episode of Go Ask Alice, the show where we jump down random internet rabbit holes and bring you wonderful factoids from our adventures in Wiki Wonderland. I'm Drew and I like scat. No. I'll let you figure out which one I'm in. <laughs> With me is Oh, I'm Lindsay, and I think that we should tip baristas the way that we tip bartenders. Yeah. Hey, I'm with it. <laughs> I like that. Uh, and I'm Sarah. And last week I got to hug a seal. Oh, you lucky. <laughs> <laughs> this is the show that's it that's my news <laughs> i always i always cringe and wait when you bring up animal related ones because they make traumatize me <laughs> but that was a nice one <sighs> i have been bitten by a lot of animals <laughs> <laughs> this is the show where we all start out on the same wiki page and we wander horribly horribly far although i did hear gossip that today's topic drew did not wander horribly far Ooh. we all start on this <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> we all start on the same wiki topic and we use the hyperlinks within the article to wander around until we have found something that we deem metrically interesting this means we are stuck reading two or more paragraphs and then we are beholden to share it with each other and with all of you mm-hmm. that's right so where did we start this week we started this week on bakery. Yeah. Yum, yum. I'm so keen to see where Drew went. <laughs> because, <laughs> uh, because I'm guessing he clicked on one thing and was like, that sounds yummy. Drew and I both had to resist reciting the entire history of sliced bread. And I'm pretty sure we both went through and were around <laughs> World War II. Um, <laughs> but that's as much as I know. Oh, my God. I... I went through the history of sliced bread as well. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) And I almost stopped there. Me too. The guy who invented sliced bread was fascinating. Yeah, but we didn't stop there. That's not the rules. We did not. We did not. But before we tell you where we stopped, it is question of the week. Drum roll, please. So this week's question of the week is, what is the first career you can uh, remember wanting to do as a child. Uh, so Lindsay, I'm going to go first with you. Okay. Well, you picked kind of a, a bad one to start with because I have many listener submissions. Oh. <laughs> go for it. <gasps> I'm so excited. Um, I will say that two of our listeners both wanted to be garbage men. And I think that's really cute because they both used to watch the trash collectors out their window and think that looks really fun. One of our listeners, Brian Canway, said, I really wanted to ride on the back of the truck. And uh, Gene said that he wanted to. That would have been so fun. (laughs) Yeah, it's dangerous. Um, Gene says that uh, garbage is just awesome. Uh, he's not wrong. <laughs> yeah. Another one of our friends in the Discord channel said, um, I'm pretty sure I wanted to be a chef. And I thought that was so cute imagining a little baby in a chef hat. Um, but then also on our Twitter, Jeff E. Spaghetti says that they wanted to be an archaeologist, perhaps the same as what Sarah's going to say. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. 
Very close. Um, and another uh, Twitter user, Kate Begins to Rock, said that they wanted to be a writer, but they were told that that's not a job. And I clicked on their Twitter <gasps> profile, and they are, in fact, a very successful writer. So go, Kate. Yay! <laughs> Claps for you. Go, Kate. <laughs> Sticking it to the man. I love it. My first job that I ever, ever wanted so badly was to be an acrobat. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know why, but I thought you were gonna say like, uh, like a mortuary scientist or a mortician or something like that. I can just imagine like little baby goth Lindsay. Um, I did not expect acrobat. <laughs> I was very disciplined. I have very, very vivid memories of being in preschool and telling myself at recess, you're not allowed to play with all the other kids until you walk the entire perimeter of the playground balancing on the curb. And then after you've gone around once, then you can go play. I don't know where I got this in my head, but I was just very regimented (laughs) as a child. Wow. Wow. Very authoritarian. (laughs) I I was three years Uh, old and I just decided like, I'm going to train myself to be (laughs) Oh, my God. What what did you want to be, Drew? So um, funny enough, when I was a little kid, I even drew pictures of it because I wanted it to be so bad. And now that I'm older, I'm just like, why the fuck would I ever want to be that? I really wanted to be a police officer. Like, really, oh. really, really wanted to be a police officer. Wait, I love that with little Drew being like, I'm 10, but also like, a- oh, I'm 10, I'm a big cop. Yeah, I'm a big boy. Big boy britches. I'm gonna arrest you, I'm 10. I'm 10, I'm gonna pull up my britches and chase after your big criminals. Like, oh, yeah, that, that was me. <laughs> I think a lot of little kids, though, they look up to the to law enforcement and then you grow up and you realize that things yeah. are corrupt. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then then your hopes and dreams are crushed. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> Good. What did you want to be, Sarah? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, I've got tears in my eyes. Um. So you were close. I did want to be an archaeologist when I was younger, but the first career I can really vividly remembering, like remember wanting to be was a hairdresser. And I wanted to be a hairdresser (gasps) with my best friend. This is, we were like seven and I was like, okay, we're going to start our own hairdressing salon. And I had my whole life planned out. And this little bitch, she told me one day at lunch, I don't want to open a salon with you anymore. We were seven. Oh my God. <laughs> she broke my heart. And then I didn't want to be a hairdresser <gasps> anymore. I am so, <laughs> oh, little Sarah, I am so sorry. Like, I want to go up to you with your half eaten sandwich oh. and just sit down next to you and be like, I'll go, I'll open a salon <laughs> with you. Well, it's okay. Cause it kind of, it's like a happy ending because even though I'm not a hairdresser because of the pandemic, I'm now allowed to cut Simon's hair. There you go. Hey. So, oh. I'm, yeah, I'm allowed to go wild with some hair hair clippers and some scissors. Um, yeah, a couple times a year I'm allowed to do that. So that's nice. They, everything works out in the end. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I'm desperate to know where you guys landed, especially since we all went through sliced bread. But it sounds like I took a very different path. 
to you both. Okay, well, I I ended up in the order of the wine geese. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is this medieval? Um, it's uh, a couple hundred years later. Okay. Okay. okay nice. Still historical, mm-hmm. on brand. But I did find it through a castle. Ooh. Yeah, like I ended up somewhere in some castle, and then it was like, oh, they gave this castle to the Order of the Wine Geese, and I'm like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> excuse me, amazing. Oh my god! And where did, where did you end up, Drew? Are you also in like a castle domain? No. No, I actually ended up on a very similar to a topic that I, I talked about previously. I ended up on the history of coffee. Oh, oh I like that. I thought you were going to say genetic diversity. No. no. <laughs> God damn it. I don't always talk about it. Come on. Just say it. Just say it. Genetic, genetic diversity. diversity. <laughs> yeah, let's get it out front. <laughs> Get it all out now. Ha ha. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you've got to have genetically diverse coffee, coffee beans. Yeah. I mean, I could talk about that, but I'm not gonna. So, you know, maybe I don't always talk about genetic diversity. I'm, I'm so proud of you. God. I'm so proud. Um, <laughs> so I, I think I kind of went uh, kind of the same route as Lindsay with looking at castles and kind of ye olde stuff. Um, (laughs) Because I ended up on Percival, the story of the Grail. (gasps) And this, uh, to to sum it up in like one word, I'm pretty sure this is like the earliest like recorded history of like fan fiction. Oh my God. Whoa. (laughs) And and it's also the, the most famous tale that we all know, the Holy Grail. That's this idea of that chalice that is meant to be you know, magical and are you guys fans of Monty Python? Fuck yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hell yeah. So all I knew about the Holy Grail was their Monty Python's Holy Grail. And I was just <laughs> like, yeah, I guess I guess it's a ye old story from England. Um, but I I learned about it this week. <laughs> That's incredible that you hadn't I wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Very kind of you. Guys, this is gonna be real fun. I don't I genuinely don't know where to start. Maybe we should get a little pepped up with the history of coffee first. Coffee, yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm definitely down for that. Hell yeah. Then maybe I can talk about the Holy Grail and then we can finish with whatever your crazy thing is. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that makes tons of sense. I think this is a great that's a great order. Let's jump in. Okay. So the history of coffee. Hell yeah. So coffee. Coffee. Who wants some coffee? Sorry, it's coffee. a little joisy. Um, <laughs> Drew, Drew and I are from New Jersey. We have to say it like coffee. <laughs> coffee. Um, so. Coffee. Qua- I'm walking here with my coffee. Coffee? I don't think we say it like that. That's what you sound like. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> definitely not. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. I ended up on the page for coffee and. It literally took me two clicks to get here from bakery. It was like, boom, boom. It was like, you know, sides with bakery. <laughs> it was like sides that go with bakery, coffee, done. Um, which I know makes me a little basic, but it, the, the history of coffee is pretty fucking interesting. So let's, let's cool. keep on with that. So 
I'm a huge fan of coffee. I don't know if you two know this about me, but I used to drink a ton of it and still drink a ton of it. So, uh, and like the only way I got through grad school was, you know, consuming copious amounts of coffee just to get through that. But, you know, I think most people do. Um, and so this week I'm actually going to break the mold a little bit and uh, not define my topic because I think everyone knows what fucking coffee is. You know, you don't, oh need, you don't need a definition. You know what coffee is. You know, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. I just kind of feel untethered. I don't know. <laughs> the only people who wouldn't know what coffee is no. are literal babies. And you know what? We say, we say fuck a lot on this show, and I don't want to destroy the innocence of any babies, so why are they listening? <laughs> and you Because I don't want to be responsible for producing bad babies. You know, yeah. it's not me. Bad freaking babies. Yeah, nobody let your babies hear this. Babies can't drink coffee. This unhinged Drew is my new favorite thing in the world. I ain't going to define it. I'm unhinged. <laughs> ain't going to define it. You can, you can look it up yourself. <laughs> I feel like Drew's like recording shirtless right now. He's like, I'm not going to define it. I'm not going to wear a shirt. <laughs> How did you know? Pounding on his chest. Oh my god. Wow, we're off the rails already. Bam! Um, so, <laughs> back on the rails. Let's set ourselves back up. Yes. All right. So, the first thing I really wanted to cover was where does coffee come from? And I don't mean historically yet, but I mean physically. Mm. So, coffee okay. beans themselves are actually seeds from a berry that comes from a flowering plant in the genus of coffea. Um, so from the coffee fruit, the seeds are separated to produce unroasted green coffee. And funny enough, I actually tried to grow my own coffee a few years ago. And, um, well, <laughs> coffee requires high temperatures and a good amount of sunlight, both of which I don't get enough of. So my coffee plants were fucking doomed Aww. from the beginning. <laughs> they were doomed. They oh, were really Jerry. doomed. So... Sorry. <laughs> Did you have the idea that you were going to be able to, like, harvest enough beans for a cup of coffee? Maybe. That was, like, the – that was kind of – well, the the plants were supposed to grow pretty big uh, by the end of it. But it was just, like, to grow something that was kind of cool. So I, I wanted to grow coffee, and it was – it, was, it, was, it didn't really work. Anyway. <laughs> I respect that. <laughs> so – Excuse me. So green coffee is roasted, which produces the consumable product that we know. That's coffee beans, which is we should actually call them coffee seeds, but that's besides the point. Anyway, so um, you know, you stew this. You, I'm sorry, you steep this with hot water, and now you've got coffee. Great. So we all know where it comes from. It's great. It's a great thing. Great drink. Anyway, so coffee is actually one of the most popular drinks in the world, and can be prepared in various ways depending on how fancy you want to be with your caffeine consumption. So you know, coffee beans can be. You know, I love a good espresso. I love a good, uh, you know, cappuccino. I'm a big fan. And uh, one thing I found out during this was that coffee beans and espresso <laughs> beans are the same fucking thing. They're just like they're they're um, roasted differently, and that's I don't know. I thought that was really cool. I was like I thought they were different, but they're not. So there you go. It's a little we're learning already. Already learning. Yeah, I actually didn't even know that they were just roasted differently. I thought it was like the amount of water you use. Yeah, I I I, I saw they were roasted differently, but I think there are a few other attributes. Yeah, I think that's what I thought. Hmm. I don't know. I, I only saw a few like I mean I'm not I'm not good at this. 
<laughs> no, me neither. I'm not a coffee consumer, so I just know that it's black, and then you put stuff with it. But you know what coffee is, so we're good. <laughs> we're moving on. <laughs> oh my god, off the rails already. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the two most commonly grown types of coffee beans come from the plants C. arabica. And C. robusta, which robusta I found really like a robust cup of coffee. But anyway. Ah, you see it. You see it on like packaging, like robusta coffee. I thought it was just like a really strong, solid. No, drink, no. But it must be the. It's, it's the plant. Yeah. Ah, that makes sense. It's the plant. Um, so those are the two main. I thought they were just very expressive. <laughs> I thought that too. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so. These these two plants are typically cultivated in over 70 different countries throughout the world. So these countries typically are on the equatorial regions of the Americas, Southeast Asia, the Indonesia, I'm sorry, the Indian subcontinent and Africa. So as of 2018, Brazil was the leading grower of coffee beans, producing 35% of the world's total coffee, which is nuts. Nuts, 35%. So it's just super cool. Shit. That's a lot of coffee. That's a lot of coffee. Uh, so, so due to the omnipresence of coffee consumption, coffee is a major export commodity and is often um, the leading legal agricultural export for numerous countries. This includes developing countries where it can be one of the most valuable commodities just exported in general. And furthermore, green coffee is the most traded agricultural commodity and one of the most traded commodities in general, second only to petroleum products. So coffee's fucking traded everywhere and it's traded so much. It's ridiculous. I mean, we all kind of rely on it. Like it's literally what makes the world go wow. round. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're so right. You say as an astrophysicist, like I conclusively say that this is what literally makes the world go round. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is science. <laughs> Uh, so despite the sales of coffee reaching up to the billions of dollars, the people who actually produce coffee beans are disproportionately living in poverty. So that's one of the, the big sort of drawbacks of coffee is that, you know, the coffee industry is, is sort of, um, it's, it disproportionately favors certain people and leaves a lot of other people in poverty, just to, like the main farmers. So, um, Basically, a lot of critics of the coffee industry also point to the coffee industry's negative impact on the environment and the associated clearing of land for coffee growing, which is a, a big thing in Brazil because a lot of the rainforest is actually cleared just for coffee growing, which is a huge problem because we don't want to, you know, oh my God, we lose a lot of genetic diversity because we clear out the rainforests. Fuck, there it is. <laughs> okay, but also for a good cause. That was genetic diversity yeah. for a good cause. <laughs> oh my God. Wow, I didn't even think I was going to get there, but I got there. It comes naturally to you. Coffee does require an incredible amount of water, um, which is also a big point of criticism. So this is the reason why fair trade markets have, um, you know, really sprung up. The fair trade and organic markets have expanded recently because these help mitigate some of the environmental costs and the wage disparity for farmers. So that's that's why um, I tend to buy not tend to, I do buy fair trade market coffee and organic coffees because I think they're better for the environment and better for the people who are producing it. So that's just kind of a, a soapbox for me to stand on for a little bit uh, that I feel like everyone should kind of look into the coffee they buy so they don't just buy the cheap shit because that might not be great for the environment and might not be great for the farmers. So why not just like put a little research in and figure out what kind of coffees are going to 
be good for both of those things. So it's just something to think about. Yeah, it's, think, it's something to think about before you buy. It's beautiful. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, a thousand, thousand percent. So um, now that we kind of have an idea of, of what coffee is, uh, I guess that's a long, long and short definition. Um, uh, let's get into the history of coffee. Um, which is the part that I was most interested in and kind of similar to like the history of beer that I talked about. I really wanted to know um, if this was a modern invention or kind of an ancient one because, you know, who the heck decides to roast a bunch of seeds and then grind them up and then make a drink out of it? You know, like who wants to do that? And then who the heck drinks it? Oh, history's bizarre. Like the history of how people discovered stuff. I mean, this is such echoes of Drew's talk about the history of beer. Yeah, right. It absolutely is. 100%. Yeah, where it's like, how did they fucking think of this? (laughs) So, of course, we will never actually know who was the first to drink coffee because we need written records to really figure that out. So I think that's that's kind of a a big thing with beer, which was very interesting, is how, how written not written, how many records existed of just beer. Um, but coffee is a little bit harder. Um, they, they, there weren't too many written records of it. So the earliest credible exist, uh, evidence of coffee consumption um, and just general knowledge of the coffee trees themselves uh, dates back to the 15th century, um, to, to the 15th century, sorry. So from the account of Ahmed al-Ghaffar in Yemen, so it was here in Arabia that coffee seeds were first roasted and brewed in very much the same way that we currently prepare them now. So coffee was used in a Sufi circles, in Sufi circles, to help stay awake during their religious rituals. And through accounts, so basically a bunch of accounts differ on the origin of coffee plant prior to its appearance in Yemen, but they all kind of, of course, agree that it came from Africa. So it is thought that coffee originated from Ethiopia and was introduced into Yemen, Yemen being the trade across the Red Sea. And uh, one account specifically credits Muhammad ibn Saad uh, for bringing the beverage to Aden, which is Yemen's capital, from the coast, from the African coast. So other accounts actually credit Al Ben Omar of the uh, Shadhil uh, Sufi order uh, with bringing the being the first person to introduce coffee to Arabia. So according to a few accounts, um, Omar may have encountered coffee during his stay with the, the King Saladin, uh, located in the Horn of Africa in 1401. So the famous 16th century Islamic scholar Ibn Hara al-Haytama, sorry, <laughs> it's, it's a lot of names, um, writes that the beverage called Kawa uh, was de- uh, developed from a tree in the Zilia region, uh, which is in the Horn of Africa. Oh my God, that is such a similar name. that is that is way later than i thought it was gonna be yeah right that's exactly what i thought too like i i I thought it was gonna be like four thousand years ago these people started eating these beans because it gave them energy no no it's i mean that that may have happened but this is these are the first written records of it so this is like all we have to go on and i kind of i kind of covered that a little later too but um basically um, coffee was first exported from Ethiopia to Yemen by Somali merchants from Berbara, sorry, Berbara and Zilia in modern-day Somaliland. Mm-hmm. So the coffee itself was produced in Hara uh, and the Abyssinian uh, interior by these merchants. Sorry, it was procured by the, in these areas. Wow. So according to ha- Captain Haynes, uh, who was the colonial administrator of Aden from 1839 to 1854, 
Uh, Mocha historically in, uh, imported up to two-thirds of their coffee from Berbera-based merchants before the coffee trade of Mocha was captured by the British-controlled Aden in the 19th century. So Mocha is actually a place. Uh, it's not just a drink, and I think we figure out where the, the drink comes from. Yeah. Uh, there's also, um, there's also Java sense. later, which is, um, I believe, in, the, in South America. And I wonder where that, you know, gets used, but... You know, anyway, <laughs> um, so basically, uh, much of the Ethiopian coffee was exported. Wait, hold on. Java, Java's Indonesian. Oh, you're right. Oh my God. You're so right. Just wanted to put that in there. <laughs> Continue. No, you're so right. Cause I later say it's the Java. I'm silly. I'm forgetting my things. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I just keep going. I'm sorry. Apology corner for me. <laughs> so by the 16th century, coffee had reached the, um, the Middle East, Persia, Turkey, and North Africa. So the first coffee seeds were actually smuggled out of the Middle East by Sufur Bada Budan uh, from Yemen, because basically what would happen is they would boil or otherwise sterilize all of their exports before they were sent out. So you couldn't grow coffee unless you came to Yemen. Uh, which is like ridiculous to not ridiculous. That's like kind of cool, but also kind of, you know, smart. Yeah. You get Monsanto vibes from it, but that's a whole side note. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, um, the first plants grown from the smuggled seeds were planted in Mysore, which is a city in Southern India. And then, um, coffee itself spread to Italy by 1600 and then the rest of Europe and Indonesia and the Americas after that. Wait, it's weird to think of Renaissance people drinking coffee. Yeah, right. It is a little bit. Um, well, I have one Renaissance man who actually talks about coffee. So in 1583, Leonard Rauwolf, sorry, a German physician, uh, gave his description of coffee after returning from a 10 year trip to the near East. 10 year trip. Who goes on a 10-year trip? What? Holy <laughs> right? shit. 10-year trip. Well, when it takes you like six months to get anywhere, it's kind of like you're not just going to get there and turn around. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a lot of effort. Sorry. You need, you're going to need coffee if you're traveling for 10 straight years. I don't know. <laughs> I think he stayed there for a little while. Anyway, that's besides the point. His account is all that matters. What did he say? So a beverage as black as ink, useful against numerous illnesses, particularly those of the stomach. Uh, Its consumers take it in the morning, quite frankly, in a porcelain cup that is passed around from each person who drinks a cupful. It's composed of water and a fruit from a bush called a bunu. So there you go. That's that's his little description of coffee. I was going to say that's still humans now, like in the morning. You go out, you go out to a coffee shop and it's just people with their ceramic mugs chowing down the black liquid. <laughs> well, <Yep. laughs> we're we're going to talk about coffee houses cuz they get really important. They get really important really <gasps> soon. So okay. so in Venice, so okay. Venice is super important cuz you know it's one of the centers of trades. Um, so Venice and uh, the trade from Venice, North Africa, Egypt, and the Middle East, the Ottoman Empire at the time, brought many go- many goods, including coffee, to the Venetian ports. So from Venice, coffee was introduced to the rest of Europe. So coffee became more widely accepted after it was deemed a Christian drink by the Pope Clement VIII in 1600. Oh, fuck this guy. I'm pretty sure he was corrupt. <laughs> <laughs> what a dick. You can't just claim a drink for your religious 
Well, he he Cult. definitely did because a lot of people thought it was a Muslim drink beforehand and then wouldn't drink it. And then as soon as it was deemed a, a Christian drink, then they were fine drinking it. So, you know, he he deemed it. Oh, my God. It's just it's just bean juice. Well, you know, it's, it's a little more complicated than that. How crazy that people would refuse to drink it if they didn't think it was Christian. I mean, the Crusades happened. Like, like <laughs> people did crazier think, shit just because of, just because it was, you know, their religion. They did do some crazy shit. That's true. Anyway, um, so the first coffee house was actually opened in Rome in 1645. So there we go. That's the first coffee house. 1645. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that's a... Wow. That's ridiculous. Wow. Um, That's amazing. Right? Uh, the Dutch East India Company was the first to import coffee on a large scale. So the Dutch uh, later grew coffee in Java and Kalon uh, within the first Indonesian coffee, which uh, you are right, Lindsay, definitely Indonesian. Um, so the <laughs> <laughs> so the first the first exports of Indonesian coffee from Java actually to the Netherlands occurred in 1711. So through the efforts of the British East India Company, coffee became popular in England as well. Um, in the diary of John Evelyn, recorded on May of 1637, it was said that he tasted the drink at Oxford in England, where it was brought by a student of another college from Crete. Okay, all over the place. <laughs> yeah, right? So Oxford's Queen, uh, Queen's Lane Coffee House, which is established in 1654, is still in existence today. And that's one of the <gasps> other first coffee houses. You can go there. You can get a coffee at one of the first coffee houses. Oh, that's awesome. Holy crap. Maybe go ask Alice trip to a coffee house. Yeah. <laughs> I'm down. Oh my god. So coffee was introduced in France in 1657 and Austrian Poland after the Battle of 1683, the Battle of Vienna, where coffee was actually captured from supplies from the defeated Turks. So it wasn't just introduced into Austrian Poland. It was literally captured and they're like, what the fuck is this shit? And then they ground it up and had coffee. So <laughs> there you go. That's the <laughs> Damn. All right. Wow. So now, now we get to North America. And this is where the colonial period really begins and is, you know, this is, this is a, a pretty a, a bad period, but very profitable for coffee. Yeah. So um, basically coffee, uh, coffee was first introduced to North America and it initially was not as successful as it was in Europe because alcoholic beverages remained much more popular at the time. However, during the Revolutionary War, the demand for coffee increased as much of at so much that dealers had to hoard their scarce supplies and raise the price dramatically. So this shortage, this shortage was also due to the reduced availability of tea from British merchants. So this is like this is tying into American history. Coffee is so tied to American history. Holy shit, yeah. That's wild. Yeah, the the mm. there's a general resolution among Americans to avoid drinking tea following the 1773 British Tea Party or Boston Tea Party, sorry. Um Oh my god. Of course. Tea, yeah. tea in the in the in, in the, the bay. Yep, there you go. After the War of 1812, uh, during which the British temporarily cut off access to tea imports, the taste, the American taste for coffee continued to grow. So basically, you know, coffee was kind of looked as a replacement for tea, and the British Empire was, you know, of course looked at as bad, and they're, you know, the tea drinkers, so why don't we just become the American coffee drinkers? So it's, it's, it's very tied. But that's stuck. Very tied to American history. Very tied. I mean, but it's still like that culturally. That cultural divide is still like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, which mm. is, it's very funny. Um, 
the 18th century, coffee consumption declined in England, giving way to tea drinking instead because they had captured the, the tea industry within, not captured, but had conquered the tea industry within uh, India. And so the tea became much more available in England because they had that... That, that colonialism. Um, that colonialism, yeah, true. So that's, you know, they, they had that and, and so tea became much more available and, and coffee was, was less used. So... Here, we actually get to um, a Frenchman, uh, Gabriel de Clos, uh, who took a coffee plant from the French territories to Martinique in the Caribbean in 1720, sorry. And this is where, you know, the coffee industry really exploded because, you know, the the Caribbean is so, so good for coffee growing, like Caribbean and Central America is so Mm -hmm. good for coffee growing. So this is kind of where, you know, the, the, um, the coffee industry really exploded. I say that coffee thrived in this climate and was cultivated across the Americas. So coffee, interesting enough, it was cultivated in Haiti from 1737. And by 1788, it supplied half the world's coffee just from, you know, just from Haiti. Half of the world's coffee. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> Haiti's not a big place. Haiti is definitely not a big place. <laughs> the problem. That's impressive. Right? The problem is the conditions that slaves worked under uh, in on these coffee plantations was a factor in causing the Haitian Revolution because it sucked so much. So another thing that wasn't. Yeah, really... I mean, the moment you said problem and then slavery, I was like, yeah, that's yeah, the problem. yeah, that's the yep, problem. That's the problem. So one of the things that the wiki article really didn't cover is just how intertwined the coffee industry is with slavery or was with slavery, I should say. Um, and that's, mm-hmm. I think, something that, that we need to also recognize is that, you know, coffee was very much intertwined with the slave industry. And I think that's, you know, it's, it's really got its dark roots. Uh, but, you know, I, th- I think now we're... Yeah, because it's, it's something that required a lot of labor. Yes. And, you know, those, those old white fogies, they don't like to, to do the labor back then. Trying not to be too rude, but fuck our ancestors. <laughs> Sorry. So the coffee industry of Haiti actually never recovered um, after the Haitian Revolution. Um, it it kind of came back in 1949, um, where it became the world's third sorry the 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 world's third largest coffee exporter, um, but still kind of declined rapidly after that. So Haiti never really recovered from from this kind of the the Haitian Revolution. Um, it it never really became the it never really became the the coffee exporter that it once was. So meanwhile, um, coffee was introduced to Brazil in 1727, and although cultivation did not originally have uh, like garner momentum, it wasn't until uh, Brazil became independent in 1822 that it became super like a super massive industry, um, where massive tracts of rainforest were actually cleared for coffee plantations. And so basically Brazil went from having essentially no coffee exports in 1800 to being a significant exporter in 1830 to being the world's largest producer in 1852. So between, you know, 1910 and 1920, Brazil exported around 70% of the world's coffee, while Colombia, Guatemala, and Venezuela exported half of the remaining 30%, so 15%. (laughs) Jeez. So 70% was just coming from Brazil only, which is just ridiculous. And it's yeah. just absolutely ridiculous. Wow. So finally, the old world's production actually accounted for less than 5% of the world's exports of coffee. So it was just, it's absolutely ridiculous how much Brazil was just exporting coffee. Yeah, especially considering that's not where it originated. Yeah, right? It's, it's not at all. 
And that's, that's why the old world was like kind of left in the dust because it just, it works so well in, in that climate. Mm. So um, cultivation was taken up by many countries in Central America um, in the latter half of the 19th century and almost all involved large scale displacement and exploitation of indigenous people. So again, we have the problem of, you know, now it's exploiting the indigenous people versus, you know, slavery. It's, coffee has a lot of dark roots. Yeah. That's mm. just what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so these harsh conditions led to many uprisings and coups and bloody suppression of peasants. But um, yeah. funny, kind of funny, um, the only notable exception to this was Costa Rica, um, where the lack of ready labor prevented the formation of large farms and only smaller farms and egalitarian conditions actually uh, were present between the 19th and 20th centuries. So Costa Rica was a, oh, okay. was a good place. So... <laughs> Only because they had to be? Only, I guess so. <laughs> they were held accountable. Okay. <laughs> so um, rapid growth in coffee production in South America um, during the second half of the 19th century was matched by uh, growth in consumption in developing countries. So this nowhere is this more true than the United States. United States is the absolute top consumer of coffee. It's so weird because your coffee's not good. Like, the drip coffee is disgusting. It's like, it's not even, like, artisanal. Like, you think of, like, the Romans or the French who have really great coffee. You do? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, have you? Oh, my God. Like, Italian espressos? Like, delicious. And in Australia, we do not have drip coffee. That is, that's a sin. Um, Like, it's all espresso-based like cappuccinos or flat whites or whatever it is. I did notice that. It was very hard to order coffee in New Zealand and I had to explain what an iced coffee was. (laughs) The woman was like, do you want coffee with ice cubes in it? And I was like, yeah. And she just got me a hot coffee and put three ice cubes in it. And I was like, oh no. (laughs) I totally forgot about that. Yeah, you guys just do things such a weird way. (laughs) I guess there's many million of you that drink the the weird drip coffee. Yeah, I would say I would say it's it's similar to the way you know we also eat junk food and things like that. Like it's not it doesn't have to be good. It just has to be available. I think that's what it comes down to. It has to be mm. there. Yeah, Simon was the first drip coffee he had when we went to the U.S. His face looked like he'd just been, like, stabbed in the heart. He was so sad. Wait. He loves a good espresso. That's terrible. Meanwhile, the whole time I was in New Zealand, I was like, (laughs) do you guys have, like, any Dunkin' Donuts? And they were like, yeah, we have one. I'm like, where? And they're like, it's in the airport in Auckland. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) We We have Krispy Kreme instead of Dunkin' Donuts here. But it's not as good as Dunkin' Donuts. Hmm. Yeah. I'm... Didn't expect that. No, I'm I'm just confused by that. No, sorry, because just when you're like Americans drink the most coffee, I'm like they do, but it's not like they really enjoy it. It's like just a necessity of got to get my black coffee in my face. Yeah, it, it's what makes the capitalism engine go. Like we we need to produce, produce. <laughs> like we we don't have time to enjoy it. We're going to work. You know? <laughs> Oh my god, that's so funny and so sad. 
that it's and true. And so, so true. So, so true. I don't need to enjoy it. I need to just get three cups down so I can do the things that I didn't want to wake up to do. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You have to laugh or you'll cry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Now, it's funny you say that um, because Uh the United States was not actually the heaviest coffee drinking nation at the time. So the Wait, at what time? When are uh, we? This is uh, around like 1920s, like between 1860 and 1920, around that time. Okay. So at that time, the United States was not the heaviest coffee drinking nation at the time because Nordic countries, Belgium, and the Netherlands all had comparable or higher levels of cap per capita consumption. However... Due to the sheer size of the United States, we became the largest consumer of coffee because we're just like, we're just so much bigger than those other countries. So, you know, by 1860, we were the the largest coffee consumer in the world. But not per capita? Not per capita, but the world. Gotcha. So um, by 1920, around half of all coffee products that were produced worldwide were consumed in the U.S., so that's a lot of freaking coffee. Shit. Wow. And, uh, you know, a lot of developing countries actually used coffee as a vital cash crop to help, you know, you know, fund themselves. Um, so, you know, over 100 million people in developing countries have become dependent on coffee as a primary source of income. Uh, this is like in Africa. This is Central wow. America. So, you know, it's a, it's a lot of developing areas. And coffee is just so so important because it's this huge cash crop that's kind of where we sit in a modern time is is coffee is this huge cash crop so it's not you know um it doesn't have the the you know the negative impacts of of not completely negative but it doesn't have the negative impacts of of slavery and things like that but it has the more negative impacts on the environment and um you know there's a lot of disparity in, in income between the people who are producing it and the people who are selling it it does have some some dark roots to it still, so we just have to be conscious about what what coffee we're buying at the end of the day. Anyway, that's a little uh, that's a little bit about the coffee history. Um, I wasn't really expecting this to go where it went, but um, it was pretty cool, and I, uh, <laughs> you know, it was just it was it was pretty cool, and I think coffee from a historical perspective is pretty cool. So that's that's my end of it. Uh, Coffee's cool. Yeah. Damn. Right? I mean, but so, I mean, it's very cool, but I think that maybe what is surprising is that, like, okay, it's true that the slavery roots um, were there, like, in the sort of, like, the middle of the history, but you could definitely make the argument that the way that people are treated and not paid... I is modern day slavery even if there is like mm-hmm. a, a wage like i know that there's been child labor issues when it comes to coffee as mm-hmm. well yeah you're right you're very right yeah so it's like and it's just it's interesting to hear this it's still exploitative it is and it's interesting to hear this also like in such a numbers way to hear that like you know americans drink the most coffee and so it's kind of like Americans have the most responsibility to check where their coffee is coming from. And, you know, like fair trade coffee is usually very plainly printed on the bag. It's, you know, it's a smaller choice. Yeah. It, you know, may be more expensive, but it's because you're not exploiting the people who made it. People. <laughs> that's that's very true. That's very, very true. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's 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 kind of one of those things that I've kind of heard, you know, whispers of in the back of my mind, but then to or in the back of like conversation, I guess. But to hear it so plainly put that like you know per capita this is 
like you may think that you're you're a small person, but what you do actually like has has a global effect. Absolutely, and I think that's kind of the the real key point I wanted to put here is that think about what coffee you're drinking before you drink it. I mean, not it's not just like taste or all that, but it's like actually do some research as to where it comes from because that's in, just as important as as like your enjoyment of it is. You know, shouldn't be exploitative. That's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. I'm amazed that there's not laws to say that, like, if you're going to sell coffee, it has to be fair trade. I wonder if in Australia, because I think I'm just so used to seeing that all of the coffee products here, coffee and chocolate products, because I think the cocoa bean also has a history fairly similar. But all of it, I don't think I've Mm -hmm. seen a product without a fair trade thing and information about exactly, like, what are the labor laws in the countries that it comes from that you can research? Um, but it seems crazy that we don't Interesting. have laws against selling exploitative products. Saying this is my issue with like fast fashion, like Shein and places like that, mm-hmm. where there is no law, but it's very mm-hmm. clearly exploiting somebody. Yeah, absolutely. I thousand percent agree. Wow. Well, thank you, Drew. That was a really great history. That was really awesome. Yeah, thank you, Drew. Yeah, it was fun. It was really fun to research, so I'm happy. <laughs> I'm excited to see the next um, the next type of addictive thing that we explore with Drew. Because <laughs> I feel like it's always the history of something that's very delicious, <laughs> but also very addictive. Oh, my God. <laughs> It's it going to be chocolate. chocolate. I was, it's going to be chocolate. <laughs> <gasps> chocolate. <laughs> it's definitely gonna oh, be chocolate. the best part is I actually hate chocolate. So it's like you're going to get a little like stab in there too. A little <gasps> knife twist. Oh my God. <laughs> oh. Okay. Are you guys ready to hear the story of Percival? The story of the Holy Grail? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So what do you guys know about the Holy Grail so far? Is it mainly just like pop culture references? Um, I believe it's what Jesus drank out of at the Last Supper. Oh, that might be one myth of what the Holy Grail is. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it back in time because this whole idea of like a Holy Grail or a holy entity of, of things um, comes back to like this unfinished fifth like novel from this author back in the 12th century so back in the 1100s which is crazy so like a, almost a thousand years ago um and it's actually it comes from this romance written by oh, i'm gonna fuck up the name um written by Chariton de torres um and it was written completely in old french and what is awesome about this guy's work is so he was a poet and back in the day a lot of manuscripts and books were kind of written in verse so written to be spoken um but he started to write in the idea of um or in the structure that we kind of associate with a modern day novel this you know an idea of storytelling rather than or storytelling through written and reading an object rather than hearing it being read to you if that makes any sense Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so um and as i said at the beginning um i'm gonna like take a mega shot in the dark and say that i think it is probably the first recorded like fan fiction work in history this whole this whole (laughs) novel (laughs) and basically oh my god 
like, long story short, he's writing this novel. It's fucking huge, like 50,000 lines of of things um and it gets it doesn't get finished but people decide to try finish it for him and we'll get to that but i thought that was just so it's so epic wait is the fan fiction (laughs) what he wrote or the people finishing his work people finishing his work for him okay okay (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's like well i don't know people write really big fan fictions that's true. And people did add really big sections onto this already massive piece of work. <laughs> They're like, we need, <laughs> we need an ending. We need a solution. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, God. yeah. So so we'll get to it. But the, the gist is that Percival, this story, was never finished. Um, and it, despite it being already the longest written piece that this author had ever written, it was like 50% longer than any of his other romances. And it was still not finished. And we think historically the reason that it wasn't finished um, was either because the author himself um, passed away, so he either died, or there's a theory that he was getting fed like inspirational information kind of about people who were inspiring the characters um, (gasps) from this man named Philip. Yeah, so basically he had like a source. He had a source been like, here's some juicy gossip, um, you know, here's some inspiration. And we think that Philip, who was telling him this, uh, probably died. And so it's either the author himself died or his source died and the work just his never muse. got finished. Oh. So are you ready? Let's break down. I love that drama. Maybe the romance was about them <gasps> and then Philip broke up with him. Oh, poor thing. Maybe it was heartbroken. Um, I like that theory too. Juicy. Um, so, <laughs> so I want to break down the original non-fan fiction bit story of, of Percival. Um, so the story opens. We were set in a scene uh, with Percival, who is a young boy. And he's been raised by his mother in the wilderness of Wales. So in the depths of the forests of Wales in, in the UK. So you can think of mm. him as like this little, I don't know, he's like detached from society. He doesn't really know what anything is. He's just being raised in the wilderness. And this young impressionable boy. Uh, and the story goes that one day Percival, or well, I'm going to call him Percy because I think it suits him better. Um, <laughs> You're already making fan fiction about it, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am. <laughs> Literally two seconds ago, you were like, I'm going to tell you what's not fan fiction. And then you're like, I gave him a nickname. It suits him better. <laughs> <laughs> God damn. <laughs> It does. It does. Okay, so uh, Percy Boy. (laughs) (laughs) We've degraded. Percy was riding his horse through the woods, as you do, uh, and he came across this massive group of knights. So remember, this is back in, you know, a thousand years ago. Apparently knights were just bloody everywhere in the UK, according to this story. Everywhere you go, you somehow come across a knight in shining armour. Um so he comes across this giant group of knights and he was like, and I'm paraphrasing, I'm adding some fan fiction flair to it here. Uh, so he was like, dang, I want to be one of them. Basically that, 
that sums up that 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 chapter. He's like, I want to be one of them, uh, but his mother completely refused this dream, uh, and she was like, No, you know, you don't want to be one of them. You want to live out here with me. That's not the career path for you. Wait, hold mm-hmm. on. This is the first time one of our subjects answered our question of the week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Became a knight. He was a fucking knight. Yeah, yeah, he did. So he was like, "Fuck this! I want to be a knight. I'm a runaway." And this is back in the time of King Arthur. Um, set in the time of King Arthur. So he's like, "I'm a runaway. I'm just gonna go join King Arthur's court, as you do. I'm gonna rock up. I'm gonna be a knight." So he gets there. He, I'm sure the adventure would have been wild because that was yeah. a long way to travel. But he he gets there, and he enters. You know. King King Arthur's court, you know, beautiful medieval times. It would have been crazy different to where he was used to living. And he's walking in and there's this wise, like, young little girl who, like, grabs him and pulls him aside and is like, you're going to do great things. And she's just kind of, like, telling him this prophecy of you're going to do great things, which, you know, that's a nice welcoming. That's a good greeting. That, gives, that would inspire confidence in me. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish somebody yeah. did that when I walked into it's grad good. school. <laughs> <laughs> You can do great things. Um, so, yeah, yeah. And I, I think it made some other knights jealous that were there because to this, like, massive proclamation that this this young girl had made that, you know, he's going to be great, he's going to do great things, there was a knight named Sir Kay. Uh, Sir Kay was a dickhead. Just, we're going to put that out there. He obviously had some bees in his bonnets. And he's not happy that this girl is proclaiming these things. So he gla- he grabs her and he just slaps her to get her to stop talking. <gasps> mm-hmm. This guy sounds like a Whoa. total jock. Like, I just have a jock in my in my fan fiction. <laughs> he's a jock. And he's like, shut up, baby. Yeah, it might as well be Brad. Brad the Nut. Yeah. I like this. We're just going to keep fan fictioning your th- <laughs> okay yeah do it so yeah so sir k or in our story brad uh he hits the young girl which is just bloody rude so rude but don't worry percy who is a man of integrity from the woods uh he does not get spooked by this major dickhead uh can you tell what he does to assert his dominance instead do you want to have a guess it's either going to be stabs him with a sword or bites him really hard because he mm. was raised in the woods. <laughs> they are two very valid options. Drew, what do you think? Hold on. Before you reveal it, Sarah. I, I'm going to say he he perks up all big and just goes, that's wrong. <laughs> just, <laughs> oh, oh That's wrong. <laughs> Should hit her. <laughs> okay, okay. I like to imagine he does that. Um, but then, so I was reading this going, yeah, he's going to kill the knight. Of course he is. No. Uh, so he doesn't kill the rude knight. He goes and grabs some random other knight kills him as an act of dominance and then steals his armor off his body and clads himself in it which is just wait i'm sorry what he just kills a random guy <laughs> what did that guy do to him <laughs> yeah. 
so <laughs> yeah so he goes like i'm guessing he's like looking brad looking sir k in the eyes goes up kills a random knight that he doesn't know that he doesn't have an issue with and then strips his body of his armor and he's like just cladding himself with it if this was set in modern day, Percy would have just like walked up to the guy at the bar, broken a bottle on the bar, and then rubbed the glass <laughs> all over his own body and the person next to him. Like that is like what he. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. He's trying to. He's obviously like puffing up his his feathers. He's you know. Hold on. Is this more like? Oh, he just hit a woman. I need to one up him. I'm gonna go kill that guy. Like maybe this was nothing. About, like, not protecting the woman whatsoever, but just like, oh, he's bad. I gotta be badder. Oh, <laughs> uh, I love it. It sounds like that. Cause like, why didn't he challenge him to like a duel? Or you know. You know, slap him a little bit of payback. But I don't know. I don't know why. Anyway, we've got to remember that Percy remains pissed off at this night for the rest of his life. Just put that in the back of your mind for now. <laughs> because he did. Okay. Yeah. I feel like this is self-inflicted, but fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So for now. Okay. So setting the scene again. So Percy's just fucking killed a man and stripped him of his armor and clad it on his own body. As you do. Uh, he's mm-hmm. feeling pretty great. He's feeling pretty good about himself. He's just defended his mm-hmm. honor. Uh, and so he's like, yeah, I'm going to set out and I'm going to go get some knight training because, you know, I want to be a knight. Uh, so, <laughs> so he's like, okay, who shall I go train with? So he's going to go and he's going to go try train with the knights of the round table, uh, which mm. have you heard of them before? Of course. King Arthur's court. Of course. Yes. Yeah, so super popular, super predominant, like English literature. These are the these are the bad boys of the knights. These are who you wanna you wanna train with. It's like the CIA of of knights. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> Never so he go he goes he he rocks up and he's like, I want to be your friend. I wanna I want to be here. Um, so he he goes there. He starts training with the knights at the round table. He's doing okay. As he's training, he falls deeply, madly, completely in love with one of the head knight's nieces. Uh, and you know, it's not just a typical romance. This niece actually gets captured and is like held for ransom. Uh, and and he goes and saves her from the capture. So he's like, I'm going to save you. I'm going to, you know, win you over with my Prince Charming act. Literally the knight in shining armor comes and rescues her. Ooh, I like that. I <laughs> <Yeah>. guess. <laughs> yeah. I was like, it, I guess it, I wrote truly the stuff of an original fairy tale. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> there's probably some, some problems in that. But yeah, basically he's a fairy tale. He's a hero. He's saving this lady. He's, you know. He's living his life. Um, as this is happening, though, remember, he's still angry at Brad. He's still angry at Sir Kay. And so Sir Kay had disrespected him all that time ago, and he's still holding a grudge. So Percy, when he rescues his lover, this niece who was captured, he then, like, captures her assailants who had kidnapped her 
and threatens them that he will, you know, mess them up if they don't deliver basically like a, a warning. <laughs> and then he grabs another random knight and in front of them <laughs> <laughs> fucking kills them. <laughs> And it makes zero sense to me. So he's like, okay, so we're setting the scene again where, you know, he's on his horse, he's riding over, he's rescuing the niece, so he's got the bad guys captured. He then says to the bad guys, all right, you need to go and deliver a message to King Arthur's court that I have a fucking problem with Sir Knight, with Sir Kay, Brad. You're going to go deliver this message. So he lets them go free to deliver a message. Okay. Which I'm guessing they did not. I'm guessing they were like, whoa, we escaped death. That's really nice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ran away. <see> <laughs> yeah. So as you can imagine, I don't think this message ever made it back to, to the king in the story. Uh, so that was, yeah, Percy, he's, he's doing it. So I wrote... I've written that, you know, he's out here, he's living his big boy life. Um, you know, he's trying to get his revenge back on Knight Brad, Sir Kay. Uh, but then all of a sudden, it just, like, hits him in his little head. And he remembers, oh, when I left, my mother was really upset with me. She was pretty upset. Maybe I should go and check on her. <laughs> now he has a conscience? <laughs> the, the fucking murder of yeah. a random person doesn't bother him, but, oh, my mother's a little sad. I better go check on her. No, my mom might be sad. Okay, hang on. Wait, stop. Okay, hang on. We need to pause. Uh, like, Okay, hang on. One of the theories you said at the beginning mm-hmm. was that Philip was giving this guy information. Yes. So <laughs> if that if if we follow that just for a second. Do you think that Philip was just like fucking with him? Like cuz none of this fucking makes sense in order. Like either like he's getting Like none of this could have happened. Like maybe cuz it's meant to be a oh. story, but I like the theory was that Philip was kind of feeding him tales about this real knight that he knew. But it can't happen. There can't have been a night. That's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, if we believe that theory, what the fuck was Philip listening to? Philip was getting getting fed bullshit at the bar. I'm guessing from from all different nights. Because this, it can't be true. Because, okay, so you think this is a wild tale? (laughs) We're about to get to the good part. (laughs) <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> okay but also like this author's like fucking dumb for just listening to all of this and being like oh good good i'm gonna write that down now like you didn't bother to connect the threat or like you could have reordered like leaves home then thinks about mom or like you know like i, I don't know I, don't, I feel like there there were moments this could have made sense yeah could have done some story structure yes yes well put yeah. yes no no apparently this this night percival is meant to have kind of like a fractured psyche. He's, you know, he's struggling with life. But this is very chaotic. So he's like, okay, I need to go see my mum. Like, spare of the moment, he heads off to go find his mother. Uh, wild story, though. So he's on his way back to the forest of uh, in Wales to check on his good old mama. Uh, and he happens to come across, all of a sudden, this fisher king who sparks conversation and invites Percy back to his castle. Okay. Yeah. So he's like, oh, I made a friend. Uh, Mama can wait. 
I've got to go back to this man's castle. <laughs> <laughs> so mm-hmm. while he's there, Percival witnesses like strange um, processions of objects. <laughs> so it's like a young men and women who are carrying all of these magnificent looking objects, all of these incredible looking things. And they're just kind of moving them from one chamber to the other. I don't know. Maybe they were like spring cleaning, but they're moving them around. <laughs> okay. And, uh, in the order. So he's, he's sitting there and there's just people carrying random shit around. So first comes a young man carrying a bleeding lance. So a lance, like a big stick of wood that you joust with that apparently had blood dripping from it or was bleeding. <laughs> All <laughs> okay. right, good. Nothing but... more. Nothing more said about that. Normal yeah. when you first walk in, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, totally. So that, that trots past him, the little tuttle past. Uh, then come two boys who were carrying a candle, uh, a candra arbor. So like, you know, fairly impressive looking decorative piece that, that walks past him. He's like, okay, they've got some nice stuff in this castle. <laughs> and then out of, out of the next door, a beautiful young girl emerges bearing a very elaborately decorated grail. Uh. So the the chalice, that's the special grail. And he's like, wow, that's beautiful. That That's gorgeous. And, and it disappears and then he sees another woman carrying like a silver platter. So he sees all these amazing things and he kind of remembers them. And he's like, okay. So he watches this and apparently this is happening while they're eating dinner. People are just wandering around with random things. Uh, so... You know, he had been trained by the Knights of the Round Table to be, you know, a polite boy, not talk too much, just kind of observe. So he sat silent through all of this. He didn't really, like, you know, ask his host, you know, this is great chicken, but why is it, what's the deal with the lance dripping blood over there? He didn't, he didn't ask any questions, basically. <laughs> so he... He wakes up the next morning alone uh, and, and he's like, okay, well, that was a nice pit stop. Um, got to continue home. Got to find my mom. So on his way home, he's back in the woods. He enc- uh, encounters another young girl who looks like she's in mourning. So she's very upset looking. And all of a sudden, she's absolutely freaking furious at him. She's yelling at him and asking him about the grail that he saw and telling him that it would have healed the wounded king it would have healed so many people it's this magic grail you need to have it um so my notes just my cliff notes uh that's weird uh that this random young girl knew about the grail and that she's just randomly on a path okay uh she also tells him that his mother is now dead oh all right who is who this? is this lady is this jesus I don't know. <laughs> I don't She's suspicious. I think she's suspicious. Okay. I reckon though, it's kind of got like, um, uh, like in D and D, you know how hags can hide as like innocent looking characters. It's kind of got those witchy vibes to it that this like innocent looking person appears out of nowhere to tell him prophecy. Yeah, I'm waiting for something to drop. The the first the first girl who did that was just like, you're gonna be great, you're gonna do great things. So like, why wouldn't he just be like, you know, trust this, just trust this person that's walking around. <laughs> yeah, true, know. true. Um, well, I can tell you that he was very upset. Uh, he was still absolutely furious over Brad 
our knight, Sir Kay, who had disrespected him all of those years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're back to we're back to him. Coming right back to that. Still angry about that. He's going through the list every time something new (laughs) angers him. He's like, okay, by the way, I'm pissed about that. That happened a while ago. Pissed about this. Why was that sword bleeding? And now this. Yeah, he's not handling, he's not processing his emotions as effectively as could, could. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so he's very upset. His mother's dead. He didn't know, like, he didn't take the Holy Grail to rescue the king. Like, he's got a lot of stresses on his plate. So he's raging. He's like, oh, you know, Sir Kay, he still disrespected me. I got to tell him. I got to, I got to settle this score with him. So remember, he's in the forest (laughs) He captures another knight, another random knight of the king, and sends him to court with yet another message for the king to say, Brad, Sir Kay, has disrespected me. I request an honour with your court. Um, basically, he wanted to like get, get even with, with Sir Kay. Um, and this time, because I'm guessing, like, the knight was kind of bloody terrified. It worked. The king got his message and he sends knights to go and collect Percy and bring him back to the royal court. Uh, so that's nice. That's nice for Percy. <laughs> uh, so he gets there. King Arthur is like, you know, you're excellent. We want you to join the royal court. Um, but not until you, you you execute your revenge. So there's like a battle he goes up against Brad or our Sir Kay. He goes up against this dude and to execute his revenge, he breaks his arm. That's it. Wait, what? <laughs> Wait, you know what? Okay, I have a new theory. I have a new fan fiction. I have a new theory. Do you think theory. he has a crush on Brad? No, not at all. Okay. I think <laughs> Philip is giving this... I think Philip is giving this writer like all the juicy bits that are like, oh my God, and then what? Or like all the cool (laughs) twists. And then like in the days in between that this guy's writing, he's like, Philip hasn't showed up in a minute. I gotta, I gotta start moving the plot along. I gotta connect the dots. I gotta make stuff up. (laughs) And then he just everywhere the story fucking drops. Like, I think that's the author being like, oh, then he breaks his arm. That's gonna, ah, yeah. That's gonna be so inconvenient. We don't have insurance. Was it at least the arm he used to hit the girl? Like, that would, okay, I'd like the little poetic there. Like, oh, it broke the thing that you did, you know. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, it didn't explicitly say it on, on my resources online. Um, but I guess I guess that would have been like a, you know, a tit for tat type of moment. Um, but I was super underwhelmed. So I'm like getting through this. I'm like, okay, okay. So he finally is up against this knight and he breaks his arm. Okay. Not as climatic as I would have liked, but that's okay. I'm like, okay, so what happens next? You know, does it get juicier? Not really. I didn't think so. <laughs> um, so he breaks his arm. Yeah, no. He joins the royal court uh, and he's, you know, he's just living his best life. And then again, another random lady pops up out of nowhere and is super angry at him for failing to ask the king, uh, the Fisher King, about the grail, failing to, you know, figure out that this grail was holy. And so she, like, like banishes him from the court um 
I don't know what authority she had, but she did this. <laughs> Are these? <laughs> yeah, I was about to See, ask. like again, like is this 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 could be the same girl over and over again, and we'd have no idea. Like, like you said, like oh, there's always knights around. Like, okay, apparently there's always like girls who know a lot, just like hanging out. Like, <laughs> yeah. like I wonder if because uh, obviously all of this is paraphrased from the insanely long manuscript that it is originally from. And I wonder if it would have been, because back in this time, uh, like a popular thing in literature was kind of those, those people who were um, not like witches, but wise people who could predict the future or help guide you to your, your, your higher self. Soothsayers. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm guessing that these women are the soothsayers. They're, they're like the hags in disguise trying to give him wisdom and knowledge. Um. But he's just not getting it. <laughs> he's really not getting it. Um, and so I'm, I've just written like, God, they're bloody obsessed with the cup. Um, so far, we have not heard about if the cup actually has any powers. We just know it exists. Um, I'll be honest. I keep forgetting about this stupid cup. That is yeah. so actually not the focus, you know? No, it's very forgettable. <laughs> um, yeah. So the, the rest of the story, it just, you know, it branches off and it follows the Knights of the Round Table to try find the Holy Grail because now they've they've heard whispers that it is holy, it is helpful, it could heal. So they're just on this adventure to go find it. But it was just there. It was in there. But they, they were just too busy eating dinner. Like, it sounds like they lost it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they lost their chance. Um, and that's that's where it ends. They, they don't find the cup. <laughs> um, <laughs> we never hear about Percy again. I don't know where he is or what he's doing. Um, that's it. Until we get to some of the fan fiction, which extends it a little bit. Yeah, I am so intrigued now. <laughs> because you know why I'm intrigued? Because it can only get better. <laughs> it's okay. it can only get better. And rarely do we have this opportunity with fan fiction. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, that's what I thought, too. And then I was, like, super underwhelmed with the additions oh! that were made. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, we could have done something. We could have gone gone somewhere with it. And so, obviously, I want to know the rest of Percy's story. I want to know, like, what's happening. What, what does he do? Does he ever actually check if his mom was dead? That's a very good point. And I don't think so. Did you just believe that woman in the police? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Wow. His poor mum's like, God, <laughs> Percival never calls me. He never pops in to say hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh my uh, god. Yeah, so so some of the continuations. So uh the first one kind of follows back. It goes back into Percy's story. Um and it deals with the fact that Percy is obviously, he regrets not getting this grail. So he goes back to um, uh, to the castle where he saw the Holy Grail for the first time. And he's trying to discover it, but it's not there. There's a whole thing, there's a whole like side story with the sword and the fact that there's this sword that you can only repair if you're worthy at this castle. Kind of like, like the sword and the stone, but not really. It's like a, like a... A home brand version of that. <laughs> Except there's no stone. Yeah. 
(laughs) (laughs) So, So in this side shoot, he like, he repairs his sword. He's trying to put it back together and he can't get all of the cracks out of it and apparently the cracks in the sword are meant to symbolize his broken psyche so he's obviously dealing with like some mental health issues which aren't we all um so that's the first kind of extension and it also includes like this love story of another knight called uh caradoc like a whole a whole other love story of caradoc but i was like i don't care about him i want to know about percy and the grail Yeah. <laughs> if you don't introduce the characters in the first scene, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. yeah. You don't you don't care about the random OC that someone just inserted into the fucking story. No. It's like, oh, I'm gonna make a the character. He's gonna be have a love story. Wait, Drew, this is so my immortal. This is this is Raven <laughs> Eb- Wait, What was her name? Raven Nob De- Dementia Raven Way No, oh. yeah, something like that. Fuck. For anyone who's never read My Immortal, it's a fan fiction where the author like very blatantly inserts herself into the world of Harry Potter, and often My Chemical Romance shows up very often. It will give you a nosebleed if you read it, so don't read it. It happened to Drew. I was there. <laughs> very dramatic but that's what this sounds like it's like oh this knight shows up it's the guy writing the story he's like oh here's (laughs) my oc's in the story now (laughs) (laughs) oh so good so that there was the first couple continuations we've also got one that kind of wraps up percy's story like kind of um this kind of is like an it incorporates the idea of like sir lancelot that that whole history um kind of mm-hmm. you know fable um but anyway so in in this other continuation which is ten thousand lines so like a lot of lines uh so percy goes back um he goes back to to at the castle again he's got an issue um it ends with the fisher king who was the owner of the castle he dies and then percy somehow like ascends to the throne don't really know how i'm not sure whether like he killed the king and then he got the throne or if it was like a dodgy will like he made the king sign the will before before he died who knows anyway percy gets to the throne um and he he lives peacefully for seven years and then he decides that castle life is not for him and he goes and lives as a hermit in the woods backward again (laughs) exactly backward all began and he dies so he never he never got his grail he never got got that holy grail yeah and then there's more continuations and each time they're adding like thousands and thousands of lines and they're just trying to tie up all the loose ends of the original story and of of the other continuations um but that that's basically it like that was the original holy grail story is is percy just trying to find his grail and and that's it What's so unsatisfying is it was all just a rumor that this grail did anything. Yeah. No, it was all a total rumor. Nobody saw any magic or anything. It was just like that shiny thing might be good. He's just haunted by this girl crying alone in the woods about a cop. Yeah, like, yeah, he's just been seeing these crazy women. I don't even know if these women were real or if this was like his broken psyche. You know, maybe he's having hallucinations or delusions. 
Who's to say? Who's to say? I'm going to stick with my original theory that this guy, Philip, was the only one, like, he was carrying this story. And then yeah, the guy who really wrote it was just <laughs> really dropping. The, he was, he might as well have just been, like, picking a word out of another book and, like, writing that in. And then, you know, <sighs> that was so... I love it. Philip was doing all the hard work. I want to beg everyone <laughs> listening to this, either join our Discord or come to Go Ask Alice Pod on Twitter or Go Ask Alice Podcast on Instagram. I don't care which. Just write a better ending, please. Just I need I need somebody to write a better <laughs> ending. Yes. Do your service to like write the wrongs of history by by writing a better ending. <laughs> keep it below ten thousand lines because that's obscene that's not an ending that's a novel <laughs> okay so the order of the wine geese oh the story i'm gonna i think i'm the way i structured this I'm going to I'm going to leave what that actually is as as a reveal. I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to build up to it. So without even defining what it is, we're just going to jump right in. Um my story takes place in the 1690s in Ireland. And at the time, um Ireland was kind of ruled by James II of uh England. So sorry to like throw more history at all of you, but we're going to fast forward a couple hundred years. And uh, at the time, James II, you may know him as the last Catholic monarch of England, Scotland, and Ireland. And our story is kind of about when he became the last one. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, I did not know that, but I appreciate it. I didn't know that was. either, but I have heard of his daughter and his son-in-law, who are William and Mary, I guess, reversed it mary is his daughter william is uh his son-in-law so we in uh the u.s have a very famous college william and mary college but mary uh was really one of the first protestant leaders of um of england so the tension between the protestants and the catholics is going to be kind of like the driving force of the story so basically what happened was uh mary like overthrew her father with the help of her husband. And James II was like, first of all, this sucks. Second of mm -hmm. all, um, my empire is huge. So I'm actually just going to fuck off to Ireland, recoup, and then come back and try to take it over again. And Ireland was like, oh, that's great. Cause like, we're mostly Catholic and you're Catholic. So like, let's absolutely hang out. This is going to work. Uh, so as he was trying to kind of regroup naturally real nearby, um, his enemies slash relatives, Mary and William, were like, oh, we actually can't let that happen. Like, sorry. So we got to fight about it. So the Battle of Boyne happens. And I'm actually going to pause for a moment here and say that the Battle of Boyne, I did not know or appreciate is actually like, I'll be honest, when I hear just battles of anything, I'm like, yeah, what? first of all, I'll never remember that. Second of all, like, how am I supposed to differentiate that between every other battle I've ever heard about? I agree. There's, there's a lot of battles. I know. Like, literally, I've. it's so funny that you and I both wanted to be archaeologists, Sarah, because the number of times I've tried to remember history. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. I'm like, I can't, cannot <laughs> fucking... Just want to dig holes. <laughs> dig, uh, dig holes, find bones. But anyway, the Battle of Boyne actually <laughs> is 
like today still an important and commemorated day maybe commemorate is not a good word but i think that people especially listeners in ireland um will really know what i'm talking about so bringing this to 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 us here recording the podcast um have either of you ever seen dairy girls <gasps> Yes, I love Dairy Girls so much, and that's all I know. That's how I know about like the 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 cath like the Protestants versus Catholics. Yes, the Troubles. So Drew, okay, Drew, and if anybody else has not watched Dairy Girls, it's phenomenal. Yes. It is such a good show. But um, the show takes place in the '90s during the Troubles in Ireland. So maybe if you've never even seen Dairy Girls, you know that there is a lot of tension in Ireland between North Ireland and. Ireland, I guess. I, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Massive. And especially with the IRA back in the day. Yes. So that's like kind of the troubles, I think, is is what that that period is like referred to. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's tension between Protestants and Catholics. That stems from this. Oh, shit. OK. Yeah. So this and especially the Battle of Boyne is commemorated on uh, a day. I Like, again, commemorated is not really the right word, um, but it's called like Twelfth Night or it's just it's called the Twelfth. Like, because I think it took uh, took place like on the 12th of July. Um, but it's called OK, it's called the Twelfth. And what's very tense about it even today is that um, clearly if a battle happened, somebody won and somebody lost. Well, when both of those somebodies are still occupying the same country, one group is upset about it and one group is happy about it. Oh, I see the issue. You see where I'm going yes. with this. So um, that's not actually the the whole that's that's actually not like the my topic. But I thought it was a really interesting tie in to like very present uh, events and present tensions. Like I said, my story takes place in 1690. And these are things that are still affecting modern day politics, modern day people. Like it's it's insane to me. And it's literally a man and his daughter having a difference of, I mean, it has grown into much more than that, but the roots of it, I think mm-hmm. are, it's just very, very interesting how um, wealthy individuals seem to have a lot of power that they really don't uh, deserve. Anyway, so the Battle of Boyne is is this battle between it's it's predominantly i don't know that mary actually fought so it's william coming after james william is like i gotta take dublin um like i'm taking over ireland and um kind of on the way this battle happens and so what happens is william sends a part of his army to cross a river and uh what i love is that some Irish man named Neil O'Neill. <laughs> I just love that name. Neil O'Neill sadly um, was unsuccessful in leading like some some of the local sort of Irish um, soldiers. He led them against this faction of William's army and they failed, actually. So I guess James kind of hears about this or hears about this part of William's army that's crossing the river. And James has never really he has no experience in war he just came here to regroup like he's just like i hate all of this and so he kind of hears about this has no idea what's going on and he's like oh shit i'm outflanked like this guy's coming to get me i'm fucked i'm really scared so he sends a large portion of his army and quote his best french troops to go fight what was meant to be a diversion (laughs) so already a really bad idea they both so the the like large group from james small diversion group from will 
they're about to cross this river to oppose each other. Both of them didn't realize that th- it was actually a very deep and swampy ravine. So nobody could do anything. And they literally sat there while the artillery fire just fired at each other. But like all the other soldiers just sat there and waited for the artillery to finish. I don't know. <laughs> it's like the, the epitome of not my problem. Yeah, it's literally, yeah, it's like, well, I can can't throw it can't throw my sword that far okay. whatever they're fighting with <laughs> so they're just like i'll wait yay until we run out of ammo. i'll wait <laughs> um so this mixed with like other skirmishes during this battle caused james to freak out and retreat and the irish people who were fighting with james are like this is our fucking land and you're retreating like it just was so bad for morale and as you can imagine william wins and of course at the end of any kind of battle or any kind of war there's like a treaty that comes about but up until the day of the treaty Mm -hmm. the irish catholics who were fighting with james kept fighting and so the treaty was called the treaty of limerick because i believe that's where it took place and james was like okay james the protestant guy was like okay you know what i get it you guys are all protecting your land everybody who was just a normal soldier like you can you're free to go okay just just disappear which you know not really that generous because he's like taking over their land um like that part's like sucks but he was like i thought it was nice that he was kind of pardoning them but then like higher uh officials had to stay and have consequences um see see in that what what you what you will so the treaty of limerick kind of let these people flee well <laughs> here is where we finally get to the order of the wine geese. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm laughing because I personally feel as though the universe keeps conspiring against me specifically. Because once again, I'm going to talk about French history, even though I'm talking about <laughs> Irish history. I don't know why this came. I, I rolled my own eyes so hard. <laughs> <laughs> What, are you going to roll someone else's eyes? If I had the chance to roll anyone else's eyes, I would. I think this is the perfect example of, like, you are who you are. You can't escape what you like. Lindsay loves French history. <laughs> it keeps finding me. I don't, but I do. And now all of you do, too. And it's going to be everyone else's problem. Uh, so oh. so okay so here's here's where french history comes in actually is you've got about fourteen thousand soldiers who are looking to suddenly retreat and st- it was a lot and what actually what i read was that in addition to these fourteen thousand soldiers their families came up to be about like ten thousand women and children oh wow geez. so you've got about twenty four thousand people suddenly leaving so the way that they left was they boarded these French ships smuggling wine and they were listed on the manifest as wild geese. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So oh these God. people who were fleeing Ireland board these wine ships from France that were smuggling wine and they go back to Bordeaux and Nantes. Do you guys know what those regions are known for aside from wine wine okay (laughs) yes 
That might be the first time I've ever asked a question and you both got it right and like immediately because I feel like I usually ask really shitty questions. So <laughs> I'm smiling for all kinds of reasons. No, no, don't. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. Well, these wild geese, as they were <laughs> as they were called on the manifest, come to France. They come specifically to Bordeaux and Nantes. And this is where the order of the wine geese kind of gets started. All of these uh, Irish immigrants start up like as merchants and as eventually vineyard owners and they develop their own wine that becomes very critically acclaimed. So have you guys ever heard of Hennessy? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Hennessy comes from France, but obviously has an Irish name. <laughs> oh my God. That makes sense. This is, this is why. So the, the, it just clicked. <laughs> The order of the wine geese. So the term is now very generally used to describe Irish immigrants who were operating in the wine industry in France. But um, that's that's like kind of where the name comes from. But I do think that like an official order kind of had been started. And I think it had some kind of like military associations as well. And, um, you know, obviously being part of like also its roots, Um which again, I didn't look too far into. I was mostly just very interested in the fact that, that you have like many Irish vineyard owners still present day operating in France. And this is where it all came from. And so so to end, uh, I couldn't help myself. It, largely due to the Treaty of Limerick, I wrote a limerick about my topic that I wanted to close with. <laughs> <laughs> amazing, amazing. <clears throat> Old Jimmy caused a flight of wild geese to land all over France, but in Nice. Though they had their wine, they missed Ireland all the time, so grapes paid the price for their peace. Wow. Aww. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. That's so good. That is great. But yeah, that's just a little little tidbit. I actually, I had to read a lot because um, the wiki article I clicked on didn't exist. So I went off-roading quite a lot and then found a very slightly <laughs> different article that I should have found first. Eventually, I came back to Wikipedia, but anyway, not important. That's that's my whole story. <laughs> wow. That was amazing. That's incredible. Yeah, it, there is a lot, actually. So I'm not into wine. So like every time I kept reading from wine websites, my eyes would gloss over. But if you're interested, a lot of people have talked about like specifically the wine legacy of these um, wild geese as it were. Yeah. Yeah. Think about that next time you're in the grocery store, like looking at wines and you're like, oh, it was all these Irish wines because they're wild geese. <laughs> well, thanks for hanging out yeah! with these guys. <laughs> we hope you had fun. This has been great. God, from from coffee to the Holy Grail to the Goon of Fortune. <laughs> oh, it's oh everything important you've always needed to know. Absolute yawns. Wow, we did a lot of drinks today. Yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of beverages. Thank you so much. Beverages. Thank you, everyone who's still here on this wild ride. Um, we are about to launch our Patreon. Beep, 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 beep. By the way, Sarah. Yes. So if, <laughs> you want to talk about our Patreon? Yes, I would love to talk about our Patreon. So. If you would like to support us learning new facts and helping us make more content, you can go to patreon.com and search for Go Ask Alice podcast. Let me just get up the tears so I can read what you're going to get.
On our Patreon, if you go to Go Ask Alice, you can pick a couple of different tiers. We have one that's just you want to support us generally for like a dollar a month. If you just want to show that you love us, that would be that would be lovely. If you want to get a little bit of extra goodies, um, we have a couple of fun tiers for you. So our first tier is called Roaming Rabbits. It is $5 a month. You get a Patreon shout out and you get some Alice extras. Alice extras include behind the scenes content, ad free episodes and stickers and some more things throughout the year. So that's a great way to be able to support us. And you get a nice shout out. You get a smoochie from Drew. Like that <laughs> premium, premium content right now. Drew doesn't know that we're pimping him out. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> Good. We have the Call Me Alice or the Alice tier. That is $10 a month. You get Patreon shoutouts, all the Alice extras, and you get to pick what wiki page we start an episode on. So you have control. You have the destiny to pick where we end up and where we go, basically, from picking that that wiki page. Yeah, or you can see if you ended up in the same place as we did. We can all start on the same wiki page then. <laughs> yeah. I can guarantee you will not. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, we have our Mad Hatters. So again, Patreon shoutouts, Alice Extras. You get to pick the wiki page and you get to pick the question of the week. So basically, you get a whole episode to yourself with your question and your wiki page, um, and you get to join in and have all the fun with us, obviously, online and on Discord and on Patreon. So we would love if you support us because we would love to make more content. That is our dream. And get to know you. Help us achieve our dreams. (laughs) Yeah, we want to get to know you. Yeah, you. You listening right now. We're going to give you a little smooch. That was a sample. It's that a was a free one. That was a sample smooch. <laughs> a sample. Free sample from Drew. <laughs> all right. Well, that's it from us. You guys already know all of our social media links. And if you ever want to come hang out on Discord, we're waiting for you. And uh, we really love Robin. We yeah, we love you, Robin. Bye. Bye. <laughs>